0: We're going to be over in Mark chapter eleven, verse twenty to begin with, and then over in Romans chapter four. There's a story that was told by Bernard L. Brown, Junior, who is president of the Kennestone Regional Healthcare System in the state of Georgia. So Brown once worked in a hospital where a patient knocked over a cup of water. It spilled on the floor right beside a patient's bed, and the patient was afraid that he might slip and fall on the puddle. So he asked, the, uh, he asked the nurse's aide if she would mop it up. Well, the patient didn't, patient didn't know it, but the, the hospital policy was that small spills were the responsibility of nurse's aides, while large spills had to be mopped up by housekeeping. So the nurse's aide decided the spill was a large one and notified housekeeping. Housekeeping came on up and notified her that it was a small one. An argument followed. It's not my responsibility, the nurse's aide said. It's a large puddle. puddle. Housekeeper said, well, it's not mine, the puddle, it's it's too small. So the patient, exasperated at seeing all this that was going on in the room, decided to spill the rest of the cup. And then he asked, is the puddle big enough now? (laughs) To which they said, yes, it is. (laughs) And no more argument. (laughs) All the things that we take into consideration... Before we'll do things, before we'll go in certain directions, before things will happen. Oh, we mean these two. Considering whether the puddle is large enough. Considering whether the puddle is too small. And we base different actions uh, upon that. We're going to be looking here today at, at Abraham and a familiar story to us and the things that he considered that um, impacted his faith and the things he was doing. We started this series, of course, back in Mark chapter 11. Jesus, teaching his disciples, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to him, Have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed, be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So that was our text we started off on. We began to meditate on a number of things from this and and look at things. But our whole focus on this series has been how we as doubters can become victorious. Because we all know it's easy to doubt, isn't it? It's a whole lot easier to doubt than it is to believe. Belief is hard. Doubt is easy. So what we wanted to learn to do is to doubt the right things. That too often we think that I'm either a believer or a doubter. And that's not true. You are a believer and a doubter. Because whatever you believe, you produce a doubt on the other end. If you believe the things of God, you doubt the things of the world. If you believe the things of the world, you doubt the things of God. One belief causes another doubt. So we just got to get our doubts turned around so that we are focused on doubting the right things. That's our That was our main goal with all of this. And we as we began to look at some of the, the um, principles in here, a number of weeks ago, we took up looking at some people who did some of the things that were here. We saw that Jesus was teaching that if you speak to a mountain, what happens to the mountain? There were some conditions on it. First off, you had to believe, not doubting. You had to speak the thing out. And we, we looked over those conditions and some of the things that were there. But we looked at two examples on the word of God, namely Peter and Israel, both of which had spoken to things and it hadn't happened. And so we Peter was told by Jesus that you be you would uh, deny me. Israel was told, don't go into the land. And they went into the land anyway and tried to do it on their own. And Peter failed and Israel failed. Even though they spoke, even though it didn't seem like they doubted at all what they were saying. But there there are some problems that came up. And so we began to study them out and we came up with some common components that they had. You remember what they were? First one was they had hard hearts. Second, they were resistant to the truth. The third was they were denying facts. Faults and weaknesses in themselves. And fourth, they were doubting God's power and promises. And we saw these common components. And then we we began to go through some of the other scriptures. And we we examined seven people who started off as believers and became doubters. Started off right, but became doubters. We looked at seven. I gave you two extra credit ones you can go look up and then challenge you to go out there and and look in the word and find the rest of them. Because there's a whole lot more than the ones we went over. And we saw that they all followed a similar similar pattern. They went from being a believer into being a doubter of the word of God, of the things of God. And the first path, the first thing that every single one of them did was they became critical. Way back with Adam and Eve. Eve was in the garden. Adam was in the garden. And Satan began to uh, say some things about the plan of God. Has God really said? See, God knows that the day that you eat of the tree, you will have knowledge of good and evil. What's he doing? He's sowing thoughts of being critical. And Eve begins to ponder these things and meditate on these things and she begins to go ahead and to do that. Saul began to be critical of those people that were around him. He became critical of the plan of God. He became critical of Samuel's plan and the things that Samuel didn't do. And that was the first step. And others, we followed others that had done the same thing. They judged the motives of other people without talking to them. They blamed others for their own problems, dilemmas, and shortcomings. Fourth, they justify their own actions to those not involved. And fifth, they recruited allies. Now, this was a path that they went on and not everyone went to the fifth level, but they all started out the first level. Some got two levels deep, some got three levels deep. But it seemed like that first one was bad enough that it would begin to cause you to be a doubter. So then we took up the task of why does this seemingly unrelated thing to faith and believing have an effect upon our faith? And so we began to go through the word of God and see that it, once we become fall into this area of being critical, it corrupts the mode by which faith comes. The word of God tells us that faith comes by hear. hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to hear the right things. And Jesus told us, make sure you have ears to hear just because you hear the word. It doesn't build up faith. You have to understand the word. Jesus taught us in the parable of the sower. The sower went out to sow, and some fell upon some of the soil, and the birds came and ate it, and some of the, the sun scorched it, and different things like that. But he related to the fact that they didn't understand what they heard. You gotta understand. You gotta meditate on what the Word of God says till you get understanding on it. And just, to, and, and critical people won't do this. Critical people are not going to meditate on the Word of God to get understanding. They may meditate on the Word of God for the fact, for the, for the reason of finding fault. Why is that not right? Why should I not have to do it that way? And that's not going to produce faith doing that. Not going to produce faith in anything. For, I mean, for most of these people that are walking this way, they have no faith to even be saved because they're critical of it. Well, is, is, that, is that really the only way? I mean, is God going to send everybody else to hell because they don't go to this church or because they, they don't believe in the Bible and they believe in the Koran? Don't we get that way? They become critical. What you hear isn't going to produce faith because you're not having the, the, uh, the ears to hear. And so we saw how this began to, to corrupt that method that, that that faith came. But we also saw that this critical idea pollutes not only what we hear, but also what we see. But faith doesn't come by seeing, does it? And we looked at that last week. Faith does not come by seeing. But we saw how it corrupted the things that we heard. But this also begins to corrupt the things that we see. And even though faith doesn't come by seeing, faith comes by hearing. And even though people saw great miracles, did not doubt the things of God. The thing that produced faith in them was hearing the Word of God and understanding it to the point that it became uh, something that would solidify them and help them to, to become grounded. But it also pollutes the things that you see because we see that many people in the Word of God began to depend on what they saw. The Pharisees and the Sadducees show us And Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. And what this idea, once we go follow the path of a doubter, we call this the path of a doubter. First step was being critical and then all the other ones that followed. And we saw the people in the word of God who followed this way. Once they become this way, once they begin to go down this pattern, they begin to see things. Don't critical people see things that maybe you or I wouldn't see? I mean, they come out of, of of seeing things that they'll come out of a restaurant. Did you see that? What? And they'll begin to tell you how bad this person was or how lousy this thing was or all these different. It's like, oh, come on. See, they've, they've fallen into that and it's corrupting what they see. And now all the time they see things. And if you look at some of these people, they go to church. And what happens when they're in church? Did you see what happened? What so-and-so did? Did you see what the head usher did? Did you see what the pastor did? Did you see what the sound guy did? I mean, don't we do that? Did you see what they, what are we doing? We're becoming dependent on seeing things and we are coming to conclusions from it. We, we did a whole thing on reasonings, how people begin to reason in their mind. They begin to put facts and things that they see and put them all together and they've come up with Conclusions. But your people that do this are basing conclusions based on what they see, what they perceive in their natural eyes, what they hear with their natural ears. And faith doesn't come that way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's supernatural hearing. Supernatural hearing. When Jesus came up to the disciples, He said, Who do men say that I am? Well, some say that you're John. Some say Elijah. Some say a prophet. All right, well, who do you say? And Peter rose up and Peter said, You are the Son of God, Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. What does that mean? That Peter had ears to hear what the Spirit was saying, heard it, believed it, meditated on it, and that, that had an effect on him. And it's the Word of God tells us in that passage of Scripture that from that point on, Jesus began to teach them about His death and resurrection. But He waited until they had that revelation. Until they heard it. He didn't tell it to them. They heard it through their spiritual ears. That's how we gain faith. But once we fall into the path of the doubter, once we begin to go down that way, we begin to see things naturally, we begin to hear things naturally, and we shut off our ability to do the same in the Spirit. I can't hear the things in the Spirit because what I hear naturally is is too loud. I can't see the things in the Spirit because what I see naturally is too loud. And so my faith becomes starved and my flesh becomes fed. And the faith that I walk in is flesh faith. It's not spirit faith. It's not God kind of faith. Because when Jesus began to talk in this passage we just read to you, He said, have faith in God. And the margin of your Bible says... Have the faith of God. Have God's kind of faith. Not man's kind of faith. Not flesh kind of faith. Have the God kind of faith. That's what we're supposed to do. So that's how we began this series. That's what we've been been up to. That's what we've been been going through on. And we're going to continue with, with some of these things here today. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19, let me read this whole passage to you. And not being weak in faith, he, meaning Abraham, did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. He says here in verse 19, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. He did not consider. Now, there's two schools of thought on this. The first one is just as it says, and just as it's translated here in the New King James, he did not consider. Some of you may have a modern translation that reads, he considered his body. Well, some manuscripts have the not, and some manuscripts do not. So, which what is it? (laughs) Is it that he did not consider his own body, or is it that he did consider his own body? And you know what? It doesn't matter. Now, how can it not matter or not or or, or to be? it makes no difference at all. You can read it any way you want. The passage tells you what is going on. That's why I read the whole passage. The passage was his body is dead. He knows it and it didn't affect him. So whether he considered it and it didn't affect him or whether he did not consider it, it didn't affect him. What he's trying to get at here is he did not consider his own body. He did not consider the natural thing that was staring him right in the face. He's old. I mean, you get up and you look in the mirror and you're old. Your hair's changed color. Your skin's different. You don't stand up quite as as tall as you used to. These are the things that that go on. Now, some people grow old faster than other people grow old and i don't know how fast abraham grew old he's at what 100 years old 100 years old i don't know if he was still playing hockey i don't plan to be here at 100 years old but if i was i'd still want to play hockey see what happens on on that one but he you know you get up in the mirror and you you look and it's it's not the same it's you're getting older and so he, he's, his body is telling him something. Remember the fig tree? Jesus came up to the fig tree and he didn't speak to the fig tree. He did what? He answered the fig tree. Because Jesus is here in fig trees. <laughs> right? I'm, you cannot answer something without it first saying something to you. So the fig tree talked to Jesus. And we know what it said. I got fruit. And Jesus came up because it had leaves like it had fruit. And he answered the fig tree. That's why we told you. Answer your checkbook when it talks to you. Answer your body when it talks to you. Because these things talk to you. They tell you, this cannot happen. You're too old. This cannot happen. You're too sick. This cannot happen. You're too whatever. Your body will talk to you about these things. So it does not matter What translation you have, we know what the gist of the passage is. Let's not get lost in a word. Because no matter whether you put the knot in there or whether you leave it out, it doesn't change the passage. The passage is, he was old, and that's not going to affect him. He's still going to believe God for the promise. I'm going to read it with the knot. Because the manuscripts that have the knot in it, I like better than the ones that don't. (laughs) You don't even know which ones there are. Some of you do. Not all of you. I know my dad, he'll, he'll be out there. He'll tell you which manuscripts they were. I know which manuscripts that they were that don't contain the knot. I don't like them. I don't like them for a good reason. I like that. Now, the, the King James, for just a little, for a little quicker, the new King, new King James, the King James are all based on what's called the majority text. They take the majority of all the manuscripts that are out there and they put the text in there as the majority of them put it. The other ones like the NIV. Anybody have one of those? We can burn them afterwards. <clears throat> no, that one I wouldn't burn up. I, mean, it's, it's, I don't like it. But I wouldn't. if you have an NRSV, though, I would take that out and I would burn it. I would not let that be in my house. That's my own personal opinion. New Revised Standard Version, if you have one of those, I would take it outside and I would get rid of it. I do not see that as a good translation. I don't see it as a bad translation. I see it as a horrible translation. Absolutely horrible. That's, that's about the worst Bible you could possibly pick up to study from. If you have one, get rid of it. Get one that's better. There's plenty of them out there. But anyway, there are whole denominations that have adopted that text. I even we have a you know some of the things we put in the front of the bulletin. They started get using the NRSV on on a lot of them. I actually emailed them and said, "Will you get rid of this text?" I said, "I like some of the things you have on there, but I will not put that text on the front of our bulletin." And they said, "Wow, really?" I says, "Yes." <laughs> We'll, we'll take that into consideration. If you want to know why I don't like that, you can ask me later on. <laughs> if you agree with it, fine. If you don't, then you can hang on to it and do whatever you want to. But I don't, I don't personally like it. But, you know, there's, there's different translations. And uh, if you have an NIV, it's okay, it's close to the Word of God. <laughs> the, the funny story about the NIV is it came out when I was in Greek class. And we had seven guys in Greek class. The Greek class was not popular. We had seven guys. Three of them were Steves. Seven guys, three Steves. I was the only PH, so I got extra points. Everybody else was a V. But we were studying. We were from seven different denominations. There was not two of us from the same church. Same type of denomination. And so when the... Well, the this, I think it came out in our second year of Greek class. And so we were translating. We had to translate First John. That was our job, as in Greek we had to translate First John, and so we all were excited about the NIV coming out. And so we compared our translation to the NIV to a T. Every single one of us, all seven, were appalled at what the NIV had done. And since then, I don't have one, but it's, it's not as bad as some other ones that are out there. I just don't uh, personally like. I like the King James. I like the New King James. The New Living is a is a nice one if you want something more modern. The Message has some merit to it amplified has some merit to it there's a lot of other ones that are out there good new american standard that has a a a lot of good things to it uh but we've always told you the best bible is the one that you read (laughs) right doesn't matter how good the translation is if you don't read it it's not going to help you got to get in there and you got to read it for the most part i stay with the new king james and not being weak so i'm staying with the not said all that just to say, I'm, I'm staying with an eye. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, his body is saying, here I am, I am old, and I cannot do this anymore. And he's saying, ah, I'm not, not even going to bring that into the equation. I am not going to consider that. I have the promise of God. I am considering what the promise of God is. I am considering the power of God. I am not considering the inability of my body. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. Now, going back to, let's go back to this before we get into that. And not being weak in faith. Look at this. Not being weak in faith. The word there for weak, I think I put this in your outline. It means to be feeble, be diseased, Sick, weak, the idea is that you were okay, and something came in that affected you. Something came in, and it affected you not being weak in faith when you started up and you got born again, were you not strong in faith? because it takes faith to get born again, doesn't it? And you can get stronger, but there was a there was a faith there, there was a strength of faith there, and then other things begin to come in. Other things begin to come in for you to consider. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. To not do as Abraham did will make you weak in faith. If we decide not to go the path that Abraham did, we will become weak in faith. If we want to become strong in faith, we do what Abraham did. The premise here, and not being weak in faith. Paul is teaching us, Abraham is not weak in faith. This is what he did. So he's bringing out the things that did not make him weak or the things that made him strong. Can you see that? There's probably a lot of other things he could focus on, but his idea is in not being weak in faith. How many of y'all know we don't want to be weak in faith? We want to be strong in faith. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. If you want to be strong in faith, the first thing you need to do is not consider the natural things that stand in your way. That's the first thing you gotta do. Cause there are, are there not natural things that stand in our way? Whatever it is that you want. Finances, are there not natural things? Physical healing, natural things. Sickness and disease, how many times did a news media wants to come on out and tell you about the latest disease that's killing everybody? Or how many thousands it's going to kill? And it gets you in, In the natural in this thing, you can begin to consider all these things. And some people alter their behavior. Well, I'm not going to go outside much because, you know, that flu thing is going around. And that's that bird flu thing. That's that pig flu thing. That's that China flu thing. That's that whatever it is. And, you know, people might die. They said a lot of people might die from this thing. I don't want to get that. I'm going to probably just stay and I'm not going to go to church and... Wednesday nights and I'm not going to go to church on Sundays and I'm just going to go to work and come home and I'm not going to go out to restaurants and eat. and I'm not going to fellowship with other saints because, you know, they might have something and they might give it to, and begin to change. Why? Because I'm considering the natural. I'm con- and when you begin to consider natural things and alter your behavior, which way are you going? Strong in faith, in faith, weak in faith? Weak in faith. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Notice it doesn't mention that Sarah's old. I think this is strong evidence that Paul was married. (laughs) No, I really don't. (laughs) I'm just messing with you on that one. Don't take me serious on, on that end at all. But no, he doesn't mention that Sarah is old. He just mentions the thing about Sarah's womb. So what we have here is that Abraham, his only problem with having a child is he's old. But Sarah has An extra problem. Something's wrong with her womb. Can you see that? And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He doesn't mention that it's dead because of her age. Because she hadn't had any babies all the way up until then. But obviously, Abraham is able to have babies. Because, you know, Hagar and all the things that went on with that. So we know that it wasn't uh, there, that there was something on Sarah's thing. So there were two things here staring Abraham in the face. First off. I'm old. Secondly, the deadness of Sarah's womb. He's not considering these things. He's not bringing them into the equation. No, that may be what's going on right now. But the promise of God is that I will have an heir. An heir from my wife Sarah. That's what the the Word of God promised. He did not waver. Well, before we finish that. So, So the things Paul brings up here are the things that will make you weak or strong. In case you didn't get that. The word consider here is the word that means consider attentively to fix one's eye or mind upon. To consider attentively to fix one's eye or mind upon. Can you get the idea here? He did not fix his mind upon the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not fix his eye upon his oldness. His age. His lack of ability in this area. He didn't fix his attention on that. When it says he did not consider it means he did not become attentive to those details. Obviously, if he's not becoming attentive to those details, he's being attentive to something else. Right? So Sarah had a problem in addition to being old. She was old too. But she had an extra problem the deadness of Sarah's womb. So verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, he did not waver at the promise of God. The word here for waver is to discern, doubt, judge, be partial, stagger, or waver. I went through and, uh, and, and traced this word, waver, in the New Testament. I went back to the actual Greek word that is translated here and went back and looked at it, how it was, it was done. I didn't, I didn't bring out all of the ones, but I brought out some of them here for you. But here, the root meaning of the word waver is two. The root word, dia, is two. It means to judge between two. Thus, to vacillate between two opinions or decisions. Abraham did not vacillate between belief and unbelief with respect to his difficulty and the ability of God to meet it. He did not waver at the promise of God. So he did not consider his body now dead or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He did not waver. He did not vacillate. He did not sit there and judge between two. All right, well, my body in Sarah's womb is telling me this, but the promise of God tells me this. Which one should I, I don't know. She's like, I, I look at the natural thing here. I look at what the, what the Spirit of God says. I look over here. I'm old. Uh, but God said, uh, I'm over here. At Sarah's womb was dead. But God said, he's, this is vacillating. This is wavering. It said that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, let me take a look at this word waver. We'll follow this on through. In Mark chapter 11, verse 23, this is the word that's used for doubt. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, does not waver. In Matthew 16, verse 3, and in the morning, it will be a foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern The signs of the times. In other words, you can look at the evidence and come to a conclusion. But when it comes to spiritual things, you look at the evidence of what God promised and you come to a different conclusion. Because you're not considering what God promised, you're considering something else. Acts chapter 10 verse 20. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing. This is Peter's vision when he had the vision of the of the uh, cloth that came on down on the unclean food. Arise, therefore, go down with them, doubting nothing. In other words, don't be wavering. I told you to go with the Gentiles and to speak to them. You don't have to waver. You don't have to be embarrassed when you come back to your Jewish friends that you went on down to the Gentiles and you, you talked to them. For I have sent them. Romans fourteen twenty three. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. If you think something to be sin and you do it, you are wavering and it's sin. James chapter 1, verse 6-8 through eight. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You're, you're dia. You are here and there. You're between two opinions. You're going back and forth. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. See that, that two coming out again? You got what the world tells you, you got what God tells you. You got what your body is telling you, you got what the Word of God has promised you. You can't get caught in between these two things. Decide, which one are you going to believe? The Word of God strengthens your faith. The natural things weaken your faith. It's that simple. And don't waver. If you waver, what's, what's James say? I mean, sometimes you're in faith, sometimes you're not. What's that man going to receive? Nothing. Nothing. Zip. Well, he says, that the promise of God through unbelief, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, a promise is for something future. Something that's not realized yet, right? So he did not waver at something that had not been realized yet. Through unbelief. Unbelief is what's going to cause your faith to waver. Unbelief is, well, I know God said it, but... Well, I know that God heals some people, but... Well, I know that God can give me a job, but... I don't know if it's His will. You know, I don't know. Might not be... What God wants, I, I just don't be wavering. Now look at this. People who are strengthened in faith. People who are strengthened in faith. This is what Abraham was. He was not weak in faith. He was strengthened in faith. People who are strengthened in faith give glory to God, not Satan. They give glory to God and not Satan. Now listen to some people's testimonies when they get up and they talk about God. They talk about what God did for them. I mean, just sit on back and just listen to some of their testimonies. How many times have you heard a testimony in the past and they went on for 10 minutes and gave their testimony eight and a half minutes of what the devil did, mm-hmm. one minute of what they did, mm-hmm. and 30 seconds about what God did. Mm-hmm. Who got the glory? Satan. <laughs> But that's why a lot of people get a testimony. I mean, we're, we expand on the problem and how much suffering I went through. How bad it was. And how much the devil threw my way. Oh, and it was tough. Oh, and it was painful. And oh, it was that, isn't that how we do it? And we tell. Oh, we go on and on and on. And then, But then God, God set me free. <laughs> oh, man, who's getting the glory? See, we're not here to give glory to the, to the devil. We're not here to give glory to ourselves. Who are we here to give glory to? God. Strong faith gives glory to God. Look at the verse again. At the, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Give glory to God. That's all. He goes on in verse 21. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform fully convinced. The Greek word there leaves no room. He was totally, completely, 100% fully, just as it says, fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, when we read over this part here in Romans, how many of you have a different memory of Abraham? Anybody? Well, in Genesis chapter 12, we were over there in Egypt and uh, he was going on down to Egypt because there was a famine in the land that God sent him to and well, obviously, there's a famine. I can't stay here, even though God told me to come here. He must have been wrong because there's a famine in the land. And so I'm going to go down to Egypt where there's food. So he heads on down to Egypt. Now, as we're getting on down to Egypt, he turns over to his wife and he says, now, look. You're a hottie. <clears throat> and, um, you know, they're going to kill me because of you. Get me out of the way because, you know, they're going to want to have you. So. When we get on down there, just tell them that you're my sister. So they won't kill me. And, well, I don't know how much convincing it took for her to, to talk her into this, but she went along with it. And so they get on down there, and and they do so, and, uh, you know, people are making a play for Sarah. And Abraham just sits on the sideline because he's her brother. Now, if you were Sarah, how many of you thinking, Abraham, why aren't you over here? <laughs> But Abraham didn't come over. He was, he was going to let this go on. Is this a man who's fully convinced? Doesn't seem like that to me. In Genesis chapter 15, if you, um, we're going over there. I want you, to want to read this from you. Some of these I'm just going to tell you because we've gone over the stories enough. You've, you've, you've heard them. You know them. And if not, the reference is there. You can go back and you can look at that. But over in uh, Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I think he thought that Sarah was a vulnerability. But But Abram said, Lord, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless in the air of my house as Eleazar of Damascus? Now, this is not the first time that God has given the promise to Abraham. So God has already given the promise to Abraham, I believe, it by this time at least twice. And as soon as God comes out, I mean, if, if the Lord spoke this to you, how many of you are saying this back? Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And the first things out of Abraham's mouth is, boy, that is so good to hear. First things out of his mouth are, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the air of my house is Eleazar Damascus. Is he giving glory to God? No. Is he considering natural circumstances? Yes. Is he happy? No. Can you tell that this is on his mind? He's going over this for a while, you know, supposed to be rich. God's supposed to bless me. I'm going to have all this stuff, but who am I going to pass it on to? And I'm sure the devil's right there helping him out. Yeah, who are you going to pass this on to? So why did you get blessed by God? You've got no one to pass this off to and someone who's not even one of your heirs, one of your kids, one of your descendants, he's going to get all your stuff. Man, that really stinks. Oh, I can't believe that God has blessed me and given me all this stuff, but there's no kid yet. He's, he's upset at this. So much so that when God speaks to him, this is the first thing that comes out of his mouth. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Promise me some, but you haven't given any yet. It, does this sound like a man who feels that God is able to perform it? <laughs> it doesn't sound like it to me either. I think he's struggling, but I don't get that picture from Romans chapter four, do you, Lord? You have given me no offspring, indeed, one born in my house or, indeed one born in my house is my heir, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir." But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and accounted to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And they went on and and did the the part with the, the heifer. But that wasn't all. In uh, the next chapter, Genesis chapter 16, we see that Sarah's getting a little aggravated at not having an heir. And she says, look, it may be that uh, this is God's plan all the time that, you know, my my maid, maid servant, maybe you're supposed to have a child through her for me. And so they did and baby was born and that didn't go so well. You know, then, you know, the, The women become jealous of each other and I don't want to do work for you because I can give, I can have kids and you can't. And so it just wasn't going, and the household was a mess. This was not good. And eventually Hagar says, I'm, I'm getting out of this thing. And she went to leave and Angel stopped her and says, no, you're going back. And so she, she went on back. Well, that still doesn't sound like a guy who feels that God is able to perform, does it? In Genesis chapter 17, the Lord came to him and said, you're going to have a baby. And Abraham laughed. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to have a baby. You see how old I am? I'm going to have a baby. Oh, come on. We've been believing this for a long while. And he laughed. And he said, oh, may Ishmael live before you. In other words, I've given up on the promise, kid. This one's good enough. I mean, this is fine. He, This is my son. Let's just work with this one. This is what we have. Got this one. Let's just go. I mean, this stuff of me having a kid anymore? <laughs> come on. Who's kidding who? That's not going to happen. So he laughed, and God wasn't too impressed with the laugh, was He? No, He wasn't. So the next chapter, He comes on back, and He says, "You know, this time a year from now, you're going to have a a baby." And so Abraham has gotten fixed. He's he's okay with that now. All right, next year, that's fine. I'm I'm with you. And um, Sarah laughs. And so God corners Sarah. You laughed. Ah, oh, no. No. Not me. Not sure who that was. Ishmael, what are you doing? <laughs> Wasn't me. Mm-mm. No, I didn't laugh. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Let's just leave it at that. And so then uh, Abraham, he doesn't laugh. He doesn't falter at this thing at all. It's, that's all fine. And we see that Abraham steps out as a man of faith and begins to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah because the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham? What i am going to do since he will become a great, great man? Well, you might think, you know, things are turning around. Things are getting good. Then we come into Genesis chapter 20. In Genesis chapter 20, Abimelech. Anybody remember that name? Well, Abraham's heading on down into the area, and Abimelech's the king, and he looks at Sarah and says, you know what? You're still a hottie. (laughs) And they're going to kill me because of you. So tell them that you're my sister. And so... uh, you know, she—he actually, she was actually brought into Abimelech's house. He was courting her to be part of the harem. And at one time, they saw Abraham and Sarah out by the—I uh, don't know—well pole, wherever where they were outside. They were outside somewhere, and they were observing that they were not exactly acting like brother and sister. And so Abimelech called him on in and says, "Now hold on a minute. She's not your sister, is she? No, she's my wife. She's your wife." Come on, man. You know what you would have done? And so Abimelech said, nobody can uh, lay a hand on Sarah, Abraham's wife. And But that faith man got able to perform. Now we seem to be faltered there. And then we finally have over in chapter 21 where Isaac is born. But Romans chapter 4 paints a whole different picture, doesn't it? Whole different picture. I don't quite get the same picture when I go through the life of Abraham. I find a guy who's Vacillating. God's able, God's not able. Oh, listen to the promise of God. Yeah, now the one's my heir, one of my heirs gonna be someone who's not even, uh, kin to me. Not even a relative. This stinks. Then they go and they take matters in their own hands, and they get all their focus on this one natural child. And God says, no, that's not it. I mean, he'll be, he'll be in a great nation too, cause he's born to your house. But, he's not the one I'm talking about. There's still another one coming and you need to believe for it and you need to have faith for it. You need to get yourself in faith. Let's go. But Abraham does and he gets himself so much to that point that when God says, Abraham, I need you to go and sacrifice Isaac. Up on Mount Moriah. Abraham says, "Okay, Come on, Isaac, let's go. We're going for a ride. And they head on up the mountain and eventually, I mean, we, we did a study before a couple of years ago on Isaac, and we understand that Isaac is not the most, um, he, he's very laid back. <laughs> Whatever happens, happens. We're not going to make things happen. If they happen, they happen. If they don't happen, it probably wasn't meant to be. But we'll just wait and see what happens. What do you think about this? Well, let's just wait and see what happens. I think you ought to get married. Well, let's just wait and see what happens. And mom and dad had to go out and get his own wife and bring them on over. But they actually went out and got her and brought her on home. Here's, the, that's the one. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> He's just an odd guy. So he gets on up there and he begins to look around and he says, you know, uh, dad, we got the, we got the wood. We got the altar. We got the fire. I don't see the sacrifice. How am I going to sacrifice without a sacrifice? Ah, that's all right. God will provide one. Let me just tie you up here for a minute. <laughs> all right, if you want to. <laughs> want to tie my feet too? Yeah, let's tie your feet too. And uh, do you mind getting up on the wood pile? Oh, no problem, Dad. I'll get up on the wood pile. That's fine. It's kind of, it's a little uncomfortable. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. It'll be fine. Well, it's kind of a little. Can you give me a blanket? It's a little cold. It, it won't be cold for long, son. <laughs> We'll warm you right up. I mean, he's just kind of a laid back guy. I mean, what son is up there and your dad? I'm going to tie you up, put you on the pile. And we're going to kill you. Well, All right, if that's what you want to do. <laughs> he's just an odd guy. He's, he is something else. So uh, he's got Isaac. I wonder if I have, some, I have to ask us when we get up to heaven. If, if Abraham wonders, I waited this long for him. <laughs> I mean, God, he's got no initiative at all. He's got nothing. I mean, he won't even go out and find a wife. He won't even put up a fight when I try and kill him. I mean, come on, really? I see a lot more promise in Ishmael than I do Isaac. I don't know. But anyway, that's, we'll have to find out when we get to heaven because it's not written about too much. But uh, Isaac, we don't have a whole lot written about him at all. He's kind of the, he's the tweener. We have Abraham, a lot of written, written stuff. We have Jacob, all kinds of stuff written. And Isaac, yeah, he's mentioned He's there. We know he existed. <laughs> this is the one that he waited for <laughs> all this time, and he's really not showing a whole lot of promise. And now, uh, yeah, hop right up on here. We're gonna set the thing on fire. Okay, Dad. <laughs> there we go. I mean, what what does Isaac do when they when they see the uh, the ram over in the caught in the thicket? Oh wow! Look at that. Oh, I guess you don't need me after all. He's just something else. I don't know. But anyway, Abraham, he's, he's, not that, he's not that strong. He's not that stable. But the Word of God, going back to, to what we saw here, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. So for as long as Abraham considered his own body, as long as he considered the deadness of Sarah's womb, what was he? Weak in faith. And this is why the baby never came. Because in order for God to have a man who's going to be willing to sacrifice his son so that God could in turn sacrifice his son, he had to have a man who was in faith enough that would sacrifice this. Now, if Abraham had a thousand children, would the sacrifice of Isaac be the same thing? No. would not be the same thing. Get this. Understand this. Isaac had to be An only child. Because what God was giving up was His only son. And Abraham had to give up His only son. How many times in the Word of God was it mentioned? Abraham, take your son. Your only son. What about Ishmael? No, no. Your only son. It's the only one I promised you. From Sarah. This is it. Why didn't they have more kids? Only son. Only son only son. Take your only son. Take him up to the mountain. You need to sacrifice him. So he did. And he needed a man who was going to be in faith that when it came to that point it would happen. And and he did. And not being weak in faith he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver. He did not consider. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. He did not consider his own body in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. That's what you need to understand from this. He was not weak in faith because he did not consider his own body now dead or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God. But he'd wavered for a while, didn't he? For a while he was wavering. When he came on up and started talking about the guy in Damascus, that's wavering. But he eventually got out of it. And Paul writes of him, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a 100 years old. In the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That's where we need to be. I need to get to a place where I am fully convinced. I don't waver. Did God say it? Yeah. All right. Then I'm not going to take what natural inputs I can, I can take. I'm not going to, to not follow the path of a doubter. I'm not going to take the word of God that comes to me and start to pick it apart. I'm going to receive the word of God. I'm going to dwell on the word. I'm going to have understanding of the word of God. Because this is what's going to help me out. I'm not going to be following that, in that path of a doubter. I'm not going to go in that direction. I mean, folks, the path of a doubter is really easy to get on. You can be sitting in church. Special speaker comes in and he comes in in a red suit. And what do we do? I mean, a, a red suit? Come on. A red suit? And what do you do? If you're not used to seeing a red suit, we begin to critical of what they're wearing. White shoes? <laughs> what preacher wears white shoes? That's ridiculous. I mean, he doesn't even have a tie on. <laughs> I and mean, we begin to become, and it, this is how it can start. We begin to pick on this and criticize this and pull these things apart. And then we f- we're beginning to follow the path of the data. Because if I take the preacher, man or woman, and begin to pick apart how they're dressed, pick apart how they talk, pick apart where they came from, what am I doing with the message? Am I receiving it? Absolutely not. I'm not receiving it. I've already disqualified it. Don't do it. If it's the Word of God, I don't care who it came from. I don't care if they wore a (laughs) tutti-frutti suit, multicolored coat or anything else. You listen. If you're not used to seeing a red suit, block it out. Do not consider the red suit. If you don't like a preacher who wears white shoes, do not consider the white shoes. But listen to the Word of God. Let the Spirit of God teach you. Let the Spirit of God help you. Because the there's some things in there that you can you can receive, and that you can get. But if you follow that path, then and it just starts with something that's simple, that's small. But then you begin to, does, does the Bible really say that? I don't think. Oh, dear Lord. That's always a problem, thinking. <laughs> we always get into trouble when we start thinking, don't we? I mean, folks, these are spiritual principles. We receive from the Spirit. I don't think out the Word of God. I receive from the Spirit. What I can think, what I can reason out with the Word, isn't worth anything. But what I receive from the Spirit, that's worth something. That's that's powerful. Receive it from the Spirit. Receive what the the Word of God is saying to you. But don't begin to, to be critical. You can be with another believer and you can begin to judge their lifestyle and judge them. And don't do it. Don't do it. Somebody else's job is that way. Now, it doesn't mean that if you see your brother in sin that you just let it go. The Word of God tells us how to handle that. If you see your brother in sin, go to that brother. Not to their best friend. Not to your best friend. (laughs) To that brother. Now, sometimes we need clarity. I understand sometimes we need clarity. Should I do this? Should I talk to him about this? I'm not talking about that. But most times people are talking with other people about the things. It's, it's not that. We're just trying to share stuff. We don't need to do that. Don't, get in that. don't go down that path. You may not like the vessel that the message was delivered in. But the message is good. If it's the Word of God, it's a good, good one. Receive it. Take it. Glory to God. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. it was accounted to him for righteousness, there is an end result there is uh, something that comes from our faith, from what comes, from what we're believing for, what we're standing for. There's something that comes. But we've got to become fully convinced, fully persuaded, not persuaded by the things of the natural. How many believe God that financially you can prosper this year? Does it matter what the economy is doing? Not for you. But if you begin to consider what the economy is doing, then what's it going to do? I mean, everybody's talking about people are losing their job. And, and, and you know, if the employment rate they give us right now is what, around 9 percent? The true unemployment rate is up around 16 to 18 percent. They don't want to tell you that, but that's the true unemployment rate. They're trying to cover up a whole lot of it. But anyway, if you look at that, even at that, that's a pretty high unemployment rate. If we even took 15 percent, if 15 percent of the people were unemployed, what happens to most people? Oh, man. Oh, I'm not I'm not going to make it. Things aren't good. But you know what? If 15% of the people are unemployed, what happens to the other 85%? They have jobs. (laughs) They have jobs. Why is it that you assume you're going to be in the 15%? Because you ponder the wrong things. You ponder the wrong things. When they were talking about one of those flus that was coming up and they were talking about how many thousands of people were going to die. 10,000. No, nobody ever did. I know. But 10,000, 20,000 people they were predicting might die. From the the flu. How many people did? None. But in our country of 300 million people, is that what it is now? 300 million people. How many is percentage wise is 10,000? Pretty small percent, isn't it? And yet, I'll alter my entire life so I don't get that disease. Why? Because I am considering what I'm being told, not the promises of God. What's the promise of God say? Though 10,000 may fall at your left side, and so many at your right, it will come right at you. (laughs) No, what's it say? It will not come near me. It don't matter. But you see, all these things are out there. They're trying to get us to consider this. Consider this. Take this into the equation. Add this in. Bring this part in there. Consider this. And if I can continue to consider what the economy is doing, what the state of the health is uh, around our country, what about what happened with health care? I may not be able to go to the hospital. I may be able to begin to consider all these things. Is my God able to perform? Yes. Not to me. I'm meditating on all these other things. Don't consider it. we got to get to the place where Abraham was. Abraham vacillated for a while in his life, but eventually got to the spot where he was not moved. He became fully convinced. And whatever it is that you want to receive, whatever mountain you need to speak to, whatever it is that you want to have, you need to become fully convinced that the Word of God says it can be yours. You need to have faith to believe from the Word, not because brother or sister so-and-so taught you so. Not because brother or sister so-and-so in church said you could. Not because some book you got a hold of said so. Because you have gone to the Word of God, you have studied the Word of God, and you have found it to be true. And you have said, I am fully convinced The example we've used over and over again here. You are fully convinced that you are saved. You are fully convinced that you are going to heaven. You need to be be fully convinced that God wants you to prosper financially. You need to be fully convinced that God wants you to be in health. You need to be fully convinced that He will heal you from all diseases. And if you are not fully convinced, if you take in any other consideration, then you are wavering between two opinions. Listen to what our God has to say. Receive the faith that He wants to give to you. Glory to God. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank You. Oh, we give You the praise and the glory. We thank You, Father, that You are fully able to do what You said You would do. If You promised it in Your Word, You are able to bring it about. You gave a promise to Abraham and You kept coming down to him to minister to him, I can do this. I can bring this about. This is not too hard for me. I can do this. And eventually Abraham got to the place where he didn't consider all the other things that were around him. He just took you at your word and believed your promises. Father, that's where we want to get. Too often we're taking in other inputs and we're hearing other things and we're letting that affect us. But you are able to do what you said you would do. And we just need to receive it. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us, that You give us eyes to see the coming of the promises, ears to hear and to understand Your Word, for faith comes by hearing. We're not going to be critical of who the Word comes through. We're going to receive what comes from God. Father, we thank You for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.